Welcome to the American Lung Association in Western New York Community Conversations. Each month, we'll bring you a few episodes covering different lung health topics that are local and relevant to our community by interviewing experts around the area and digging deeper into the lives of those affected by lung cancer or other chronic lung diseases through their personal experiences and occupations. Lung cancer is the leading cause of cancer deaths in America for both men and women. People that you know are struggling with lung cancer, COPD, asthma, and more every single day, though most people don't consider lung disease a top-of-mind health concern. We hope to change the stigma that lung cancer only affects smokers, that asthma is only a mild issue, that the outdoor and indoor air we breathe doesn't have an impact on our lung health, and so much more. So kick back, relax, and get ready to learn. American Lung Association in Western New York Community Conversations is sponsored by Independent Health. Independent Health is extremely active in the Western New York community, promoting healthy lifestyles by giving people the opportunity to engage in physical activities throughout our cities, healthy meal options and plans, and personal health care programs. Visit their website at independenthealth.org to learn more about what they do and how to get involved with them. Welcome everyone to our 13th episode of our Community Conversations. Thanks for joining in today and always following along our new releases. We upload new episodes once a month, so if you enjoy listening, please share our posts on Facebook, send the episode to your friends, and give us a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Before we get into our episode today, I did want to announce that our fourth annual Lung Force Walk is back in person this year, and you can now register on our website at lungforce.org buffalo. The walk will take place this year at Buffalo Harbor State Park on Saturday, September 11th. You can create a team with your friends and family or your workplace and help us spread awareness and raise funds for lung cancer and lung disease. I will link registration below, and if you have any questions, please reach out to buffalowalk at lung.org or call 716-770-2714. So alongside our launch of the Lung Force Walk, we bring you a great conversation from our Lung Force presenting sponsor, Independent Health. Today, listen in as Dr. Jennifer Walsh, Associate Medical Director at Independent Health, gives us all the updates on COVID-19 in our community, such as lingering effects that we have been able to study, the disproportionate burden of COVID-19 that we have seen on racial and ethnic minority groups, new treatments, and much more. Hi, Dr. Walsh. Thank you so much for joining today. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. Would you mind giving our listeners a little background on yourself, your position, everything like that? Sure. I'm Dr. Jennifer Walsh. I am an associate medical director at Independent Health. And prior to that, I was a practicing hospitalist in Western New York for nearly 20 years. And actually, I still do that on occasion, um, you know, once or twice a month doing a shift at a local hospital. Yeah, that's great. I share a lot of information about this already, but Independent Health is our presenting sponsor for the Lung Force Walk. So it's great to have you on and be able to work together in this way as well. And we'll definitely share more information about independent health in the description here and on our posts. I know we brought you on here today to talk a little bit about some COVID-19 updates. I know we are hearing many different things 
basically at all times. But the last time that we really gave a huge update to our listeners was around winter before the vaccines were even available to the community and when we were just in a a completely different spot. So I'd love to kind of dive into some topics that I know people have been discussing and seeing as we've seen everything progress. First, I'd love to talk a little bit about some lingering effects of COVID-19. And I know it's still a little bit early, of course. I mean, it really has only been a little over a year and and that's still not a long time to really look at a lot of lingering effects. But I know we have been able to find some lingering effects on your lungs. So I was wondering if you could touch on some of those lung conditions that we have been able to track over the last year. Sure. So, I mean, nobody is really afraid of a COVID case that goes away and has no lingering effect. I think what we're all scared of is the severe COVID and the long COVID that they talk about or long haulers COVID. And the worst cases of COVID that we see in the hospital are those people who have developed COVID pneumonia, which is a very inflammatory pneumonia. And the process of healing from COVID pneumonia is very slow. And many people have longstanding issues with Um, For example, shortness of breath, fatigue, cough, uh, chest pain, and even some people who haven't had the full-blown pneumonia will have lingering effects with very similar symptoms. Up to, I think it's 70% have shortness of breath that lasts several weeks, and nearly 90% of people who've had significant COVID have lingering fatigue. So these are not insignificant numbers. What are we able to do for some of those patients that do have those lingering effects? Is it kind of a little bit of a waiting game, just seeing how things pan out? Or is there work being done to kind of combat that pneumonia and the lingering fatigue? So we're learning. We're learning what to do about these lingering effects. Um, Part of that is determining the process by which it develops in the first place. And it does seem like it mostly relates to the inflammation that COVID causes. You know, some people get such a severe effect that they actually develop fibrosis or scarring of lung tissue. And that's really hard to treat. Traditional pulmonary fibrosis, which can have many causes or sometimes the cause isn't known at all, usually develops over a long period of time and is very gradual in its onset. And COVID definitely can accelerate that process. I will say that that is a relatively rare side effect of COVID, but we do see it particularly in the people who had these really rough courses of COVID pneumonia and respiratory failure with long hospitalizations and that sort of thing. But for these lingering kind of vague effects like the fatigue, we have specialists who are starting to focus on that and determine, you know, is there exercise protocols that help gradually improve your levels of fatigue or, you know, the process of being deconditioned and kind of gradually improving that shortness of breath and fatigue. And we're learning more and more about that. It's too early and too soon to say for sure what the best management is. So besides just the lungs, what are some new longer term effects that we have seen on other body organs? So I think lung is probably the most common, but we also see neurological effects. There's people who describe cognitive dysfunction. They're not thinking as clearly as usual. People call it like a COVID cloud of thinking, memory issues, uh, even headaches. And they can vary from migraine type headaches to tension type headaches or nondescript. There's uh, musculoskeletal issues, joint pain, muscle pain. And then there's even the mental health aspect or the psychiatric health aspect, and that would include anxiety and insomnia. People describe almost a PTSD 
type syndrome after having had severe COVID. Yeah, that that does make a lot of sense. And I'm glad that as a community, we are remembering to focus on that mental health aspect as well, because I think that can take a toll on the rest of your body too. And I'm glad that's something that we're keeping in mind. I'm also wondering, kind of along those same lines, are there any new connections to other chronic illnesses that we have seen? So I know you did just mention people developing migraines, which can be seen as a chronic illness. Is there anything in relation to maybe heart conditions, anything like that? Yes, we definitely do see correlation with certain other diseases. So anywhere from, I think the numbers are 10 to 30% of people who were hospitalized for COVID end up having some degree of cardiac issue. So that can range from anything from a full-blown heart attack to heart failure to rhythm issues. And any of those single things, so a heart attack or heart failure or arrhythmia can lead to chronic issues as well. So it's not a direct COVID long-lasting symptom, you wouldn't say that that's a chronic COVID thing, but you might have chronic heart issues because of it. And then there are many COVID patients who end up having clotting issues. So the COVID infection does put us into what we call a hypercoagulable state, which makes you more likely to develop blood clots. And these typically happen in the big veins of the legs and then can travel to the lungs. And that's called a pulmonary embolism. And depending on the burden of these clots, you know, some people can have them treated and never have symptoms after, you know, a month or two or whatever. But depending on the burden of these clots, some people do have long lingering chronic illness related to it. The way you're describing it makes a lot of sense. Like you're saying, it might not always be a direct long lasting effect of COVID to develop these other issues, but your heart conditions can lead to different lung conditions and and things like that. Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that kind of full circle. And with these cases that you have seen, whether it is something like developing a long-lasting lung condition or these migraine conditions or heart conditions or anything along those lines, are you seeing those mainly in people that already had underlying conditions of the same area? Or are you seeing perfectly healthy patients who don't have a past with migraines or with any heart issues then developing. Yeah. And unfortunately that is at least part of what's happening. You know, some people who do have chronic illnesses, you know, um, going into COVID having had hypertension or diabetes or whatever, they do have more difficulties with their underlying issues, but we are seeing completely unpredictable long-lasting effects or chronic illnesses develop after COVID. And it might be someone who was young and healthy and had very little in the way of medical problems otherwise, then have cardiac or neurologic or blood clot issues that they never would have been thought to have been at risk for prior to the COVID. And that's what helps to remind us how severe this is. And totally unpredictable. That's the scary part. It's unpredictable. Yeah, exactly. And hopefully information like this can resonate with people who may be not sure if they want to get the vaccine yet or not sure about how they should go about everything this summer. So hopefully this Mm -hmm. conversation can also motivate people to stay healthy and get the vaccine as well. So thank you for sharing all that. So I also wanted to talk a little bit about some health disparities around COVID-19 because Mm -hmm. I know in general, we've heard that COVID-19 has had a disproportionate burden on different racial and ethnic minority groups. And it is very sad to see that 
So would you be able to touch on some of the reasons that COVID-19 has kind of disproportionately affected these groups and what we're seeing? Yeah. And I will say that it was even more disproportionate at the beginning of COVID. And we've been able to, I at least know in Western New York, and I believe across the country, have been able to narrow the disparity there a bit, although it's it's not perfect yet. And some of the thoughts behind why there's such a disparity with minority populations, um, the CDC actually does go into and, and has explored this quite a bit. Part of it is less access to medical centers, um, hospitals, and even primary care physicians, that sort of thing. There's the thought that there's a disproportionate representation of minorities in essential work scenarios. So, you know, you have people who had to go to work even when COVID was at its highest peaks. So they were at increased risk of COVID exposure and then did have increased incidence of COVID, which makes sense. And then there is the concern around vaccines. We are definitely seeing in some pockets of minority populations where they're just not getting vaccinated at the rates that other populations are. And part of this is felt to be based in maybe there's not as much education being pushed in those populations. There's an underlying mistrust sometimes of the medical system or of vaccines in general. And we're trying to combat that. Um, I think we're making progress, but it's never as fast as we want it to be. Yeah, of course. I do agree that a lot of it goes back to those kind of systemic issues of working in essential jobs. That definitely is a big deal. Along the lines of having a higher risk of being infected with COVID-19 and maybe less access or education in the area as well, this has coincided with the fact that some minority groups are also experiencing disproportionate death rates due to COVID. So I think it's kind of a twofold piece here. And I was wondering if you could touch a little bit on why we're seeing a disproportionate death rate. So we definitely have seen disproportionately higher death rates in minorities, both locally and nationally. That gap has narrowed a little bit, which is good, but we want it to be better. We do think that that at least partially connects to what we mentioned before, less access to medical care in general. We also know that some populations are less comfortable going to the doctor in the first place or that they delay their treatment or delay talking to their physician or going to the hospital. And part of the issue with COVID is that once some of the symptoms have gotten really severe, it can be harder to treat. So getting people the appropriate treatment in the appropriate amount of time is what we're shooting for. We also know that there are disproportionate rates of underlying health conditions, which can contribute to an increased risk for a more complicated course of COVID. So independent of racial uh, status or any other issue, we know that someone who comes in with COVID who has an underlying issue of hypertension or diabetes or asthma, they definitely have an increased risk of having a more severe case of COVID. Now take into account the fact that Black Americans, Native Americans, certain other populations uh, have increased risks of hypertension and asthma. 
Pacific Islanders have a higher risk of diabetes, things like that. So if you know you have a higher risk of those things in the first place, some of them are even undiagnosed. So you're not even realizing it until you're getting diagnosed with COVID too. And then you have these underlying issues, which probably put you at risk for the worst course of COVID. So if we can narrow those things at all, if we can help to control these underlying illnesses in these populations, then we can probably decrease that disparity that's there. I agree. Kind of back to what we were touching on with the last question, it's it really does come full circle into health equity in general is kind of how we can help the COVID-19 disproportionate burdens as well. So I think that's very important. The American Lung Association actually has a vaccine toolkit that is available on our website. And I know we haven't really talked about the vaccine too much because I did want to focus this conversation on COVID-19 as the disease and kind of in turn show why It's important, like I said, to get the vaccine and to take care of ourselves still during this time. But the vaccine toolkit is great for anybody, but especially community leaders or health centers, other organizations. And it actually helps to bring the conversation around the severity of COVID-19, disproportionate burdens um, around different groups and why it's so important to get the vaccine to kind of help bridge the gaps that we're talking about right here. So I'll make sure to link that below. It definitely is a great read. And like I said, give some pointers on how to talk to different populations, different groups of people to get the message across to to each group. So thank you so much for touching on that. And Mm -hmm. kind of to round the conversation out, I wanted to touch on something new that we had just heard about through Independent Health, actually. So we've heard about a new available treatment option for COVID-19, which is a type of antibody therapy that's being used in the Western New York community. I was hoping that you would be able to touch on, on what this is and who it's best suited for as well. Sure. So it's called monoclonal antibody therapy. So when our bodies are infected with any virus, we develop antibodies to help fight off the illness. For example, one of the treatments for hospitalized patients with COVID is convalescent plasma, which is a transfusion of plasma that came from people who had COVID and developed antibodies. So that plasma is rich in antibodies. They transfuse it into someone who is fighting COVID and it can help shorten the course. So while monoclonal antibodies, which is a um, nonspecific antibody, it is not specific to COVID, it works as a boost to the immune system to help fight off uh, illness. And it does show evidence that it works in COVID cases. The candidates for it are people who have tested positive and are showing mild to moderate symptoms. And we have seen that people who have had the monoclonal antibody treatment report having resolution of symptoms much quicker than people who do not have it. And it has been proven to prevent hospitalization. And that is the goal, is if we can keep people out of the hospital, that means we are getting COVID better before they're at that level of severity. Because someone who's hospitalized with COVID is in pretty rough shape, and we want to avoid that at all costs. Yeah, that's great. It's amazing to see and hear all the things that we're learning and the way that we're able to, like you're saying, prevent the severity and and the death from COVID, which is what the goal really is. So thank you so much for coming on today. Is there anything else that you just wanted to touch on? You know, as as a general point, I feel like we are so much further ahead than we were even a year ago. We know so much more than we did. We're so much closer to this ending 
but we're not there yet. I think we can't be completely relaxed about it. We still have to be careful. We still have to get vaccinated and we still have to pay attention to all these trends because we don't really know what the future of COVID is until we're past this and we're still in the midst of it. So stay vigilant. Yes, I like that a lot. Thank you. It was great to have you on today. Thank you so much. And we will talk to you sometime soon. Excellent. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much again, Dr. Welsh. I hope you all learned a lot today and were also able to see that the severity of COVID-19 is still very real, especially for certain populations. Hopefully this conversation today will encourage you to stay safe, get the vaccine, and continue to educate others on the long-lasting effects of severe COVID and ways that we can stay healthy. Make sure to check the description below for links mentioned throughout the episode. As always, follow our Facebook accounts, Fight for Air Climb Buffalo, Fight for Air Climb Rochester, and Lung Force Walk Buffalo for more event and mission updates. We'll talk to you all next month. <laughs>